Jerry Steele, and you're listening to the Miss McBookworm podcast, a podcast that brings you stories from Christian women. This is a space for women who write fiction to share their stories in audio form and ultimately to tell God's bigger stories through our smaller ones. Today, I'm talking with H.L. Burke, and I'm just going to confess from the start that H.L. is an author who writes in a genre I have not read widely. But reading her work and talking with her was such a great reminder for me to read outside my normal comfort zone, because her books are fantastic. Even though I might not have picked them up on my own outside of this episode, I ended up loving reading them. So I hope as you listen to this episode, but also this podcast in general, you'll find some new authors you enjoy and be surprised by genres you maybe didn't think you'd like. I also loved hearing her take on how her faith informs her writing, as well as her observations about the bigger picture of writing and the writing business. She talks about different genres, tropes, and a bit about the current Christian and YA fiction markets. She also has a great laugh, and her cat makes a cameo appearance as well. One other note, I mentioned the Realm Makers group in the interview. At the time we recorded, three of HL's books were up for awards at the annual Realm Makers Conference. Since then, the conference has taken place, and her book Reunion won for Best Novella, and the book Power On was a finalist for Book of the Year. So those are maybe great ones to start with if you're trying to choose among HL's many books. We have a link to her website, as well as the Realm Makers group, in the show notes. Now, here's my interview with H.L. Burke. Thanks for listening. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a writer. Hi. Well, um, I go under, I write under H.L. Burke, but that's only because initials are cool. Most people call me Heidi. I am a wife of a now-retired Marine, so I've moved around a lot in my adult life. I have two highly precocious daughters, one of whom is probably going to become a supervillain. And the other who's just constantly annoyed. <laughs> um, a cat who is very spoiled, a border collie who is also very spoiled, and a German shepherd who lives with me but only likes my husband. I live in Oregon. I write very eclectic fantasy. I've done everything from fairy tale retellings to steampunk, and my current focus is now the superhero genre. Yes, I so I have read one of your books and enjoyed it very much, Dragon's Curse, but you are clearly a prolific author. And like you said, I was noticing in um, your works, like kind of the dragon theme and fantasy, that type of thing, and the superheroes and supervillains and the steampunk. So yeah, just fill us in on really what you see maybe as the common thread and all that diversity and in, in, in your writing. I do write very character-driven work. Uh, it's usually also very relationship-driven, whether that relationship is a romance or a sibling relationship or a uh, parent-child relationship. Usually I can't get into a book until I find out what the, the heart of it as far it means as far as what is the core relationship that needs to progress to the story. Sometimes that's a sibling relationship. Most of the time it's romance. I do have a, a very a very strong fondness for romance. Um, another thing is I, I like things to be whimsical and a little quirky. Um, I like things to be light and fun, but I also don't like to go full on like uh, cartoon level. I like things to have like a grounding in reality. So I, I, like, I, t I like to take real life and just make it a little weird. <laughs> I like it. And so then within these different, um, I guess, themes, maybe would be the best description. So do you just kind of follow your own interest or have you had um, 
you know, a pattern or just a method for, you know, exploring all of these different areas? It depends. So generally speaking, I I do kind of just do my own thing. I have a a very, I have a, a prolific reader and prolific TV watchers understanding of story structure, which means it's very inherent to me. I sometimes will write a three act structure without meaning to. Um, I, I just know it because I've, I've read so much. So I don't really plot it out to that level of mechanical precision, but it's kind of there in the background. Also, there's certain things I write that I know the tropes really well. Like my current book is a superhero rom-com and I, I've watched just enough Hallmark movies that I, I know exactly what happens next. <laughs> You just can't help it after a while. They have this language and this rhythm to you that if you, it's like reading poetry, you know, if you read enough of it, you recognize that there are patterns and they're not all the same patterns. You have your, your fancy iambic stuff and you've got your like haikus and they all have merit, but after a while you, you do recognize them. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, so it also seems like your primary audience is um, young adult. Do you see your writing that way, first of all, or do you have sort of a broader group of readers in mind? Honestly, most of my readers are women in their 30s, but I think that's most young adult fiction these days. Honestly, okay. uh, I think that even the YA, the YA market knows that they are, like the big traditional publishers know most of their readers are older women. And they're kind of leaning that way. Um, I do have a few teens who actually read my work and it's always appreciated, but they don't have as much money. So they're not buying as many books. Um, I think a lot of my stuff I don't really think of as YA, but I do have a very quirky modern voice, which I can't stop. And like I can write for like the this short story I read, um, I did a very intentional fairy tale voice on that. That's not my usual writing voice. Usually my writing voice is a lot more snarky and flippant and has a lot of modern colloquialisms because I, I am a, you know, I'm, I'm a product of my age. Um, I, I say as I'm, I'm approaching 40 and I'm not exactly, yeah, I'm not hip with the kids anymore, but I, I have a, a teenager and she checks things for me sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like it's mostly the fact that I have that light flippant tone that I don't go particularly super dark. Um, I tend to have a, a fairly happy outcome and I, I am a lighter writer. I'm not a super dark, serious like I, I can't be pretentious if I wanted to. So um, yeah, th- I think it's all that that combines. Not that adult writers are pretentious, but I feel like they they do have a lot of times this level of either a mix of either gravity or cynicism that I just can't quite force myself to come down to earth long enough to have. I, I really appreciate that. That's really interesting. Okay. So I initially found you through the group Realm Makers. I'm not part of it, but my husband is and he... Um, had been very interested in your work and passed it along to me. And then I thought it looked really cool too. And so just a note, congratulations on three of your books being finalists for the 2022 Realm Awards. I'm not sure when this will be published, but um, hopefully we can update it and say they have been Realm Award winners. Yes, thank you. Um, It would be mid-July at the the conference banquet. Technically, I already am a Realm Award winner. I think it was 2017 for Young Adult, my Nissaglass, Ultimate Nissaglass one. Um, but since then I've, I've only finaled once and I, I won one for cover design, but I don't do my own cover design. So it was really the cover designer who won and I just, or my publisher put the book up there for that one. Very cool. Well, tell me a little bit about your experience with this group or these types of groups and how, if you found them helpful, how they might be helpful for other authors to you. They're very helpful for, for forming your, uh, your tribe. So if you're an author, it's often a very lonely pursuit. A lot of us are introverts and don't care. 
But even then, you're kind of riding out into the void and you don't necessarily get the feedback from your readers. I think it's like one in a hundred readers leaves an Amazon review. Uh, The amount who reach out directly to you is fewer. I think maybe in the 10 years I've been writing, and that's across 40 books, I've had uh, maybe five readers reach out to me with a personal email to tell me they like their stuff. If you don't count the third grade class that I read a book to as part of like their teacher asked me to, and they wrote me a ton of letters because third graders are great. Either that or they were getting graded for it, <laughs> probably the second. Um, but yeah, uh, you can be pretty lonely here. And a lot of times you don't necessarily know what's out there. I find a lot of authors, especially new authors, get taken advantage of by uh, predatory vanity publishers when they're first starting out because they don't know that it's not normal to pay $10,000 to publish a book. So if you have someone you can run it by is like, hey, I got this offer. They say they really want to publish my book. And they're, you know, someone who can warn you that uh, if they ask you for money, run or like that kind of stuff or somebody you can run a blurb by like you write your back description and you might not know it's good, especially because writing a uh, back copy description is a lot harder than writing a book for some authors. It's a whole different ballpark. My, my day job is actually copywriting. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, it, it's writing to sell and writing to entertain are connected, but they have a different, different purpose. Um, so yeah, you, you do need those homes. Realmaker is nice because it is a Christian ministry, but I've also been involved in some secular ones. And I do think it is important though, to remember that whenever you're in one, that they all, all risk becoming their own little echo chamber and they might not necessarily represent the market at large. Like if it's a large enough group, maybe it's a good sample size. Uh, but I've been in a lot of different groups that have had different opinions. Like you could post the same cover design to like three different groups and get three different con- uh, consensus on whether it's good or whether it hits the market and stuff. So you have to weigh that against where you're getting the advice, what their biases are, what the community is like. But overall, it's good to have that people around to bounce things off of and maybe sometimes tell you to stop if you're not doing something right. That's really good advice. I like that kind of discerning whether it's an echo chamber or you're finding it useful. So I'm going to think on that. Um, all right. So balancing the full-time work outside of writing as well as parenting. I am right there with you on that. How do you prioritize your writing and make time for it among all those other things? Writing for me has always been a little bit of escape. It's what I did for entertainment purposes when I was in middle school and into high school. And I've just always had that habit where I kind of always want to get back to it. I kind of always resent things that take me away from it. So it's not hard to make the time so much uh, as it is hard to make the time for marketing, which I hate, (laughs) which is funny because it's my day job. But um, I tend to give myself like a word count uh, goal rather than a time that I'm going to spend doing on it. And then if I can get more words than that in during whatever time I have, that's just bonus. So I I tell myself I'm going to write a thousand words a night, which uh, for some readers, like if you're if you're starting off as a writer, that might be out of reach for you. Um, I but I've been after 10 years, you kind of get in a rhythm and you you know what to do. So, um, yeah, I give myself a thousand words and I I can usually get that in a half hour. Um, And then if I have more time, then that's bonus. So even just getting a half hour at night, I can usually write a book in about two to three months. Um, that said, uh, it is sometimes a little stressful when you've got everything going on you. And I've, I've learned to take more days off recently instead of just trying to do it every day. Um, I, I usually take my Dungeons and Dragons night off. <laughs> yeah, this, that takes up time. Um, 
but yeah, the, the kids are older now. So they, they tend to be off on their own doing things a lot. Um, they don't necessarily want me hanging out with them all night. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, the, the oldest one's 14. Um, so she's constantly off with her friends and the younger one is uh, 10 and she is a very unique child who keeps pet snails and is constantly making something. And sometimes I'll go into her room and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be a trebuchet or if it's a snail palace, but you, you go girl, keep working on this. So they don't honestly need a lot from me anymore. <laughs> they are getting into their own interest and yeah, doing their own creative stuff. I love it. I love it. I love, yeah, seeing that with my girls as well. All right. So most important question here towards the end, how does your faith inform your writing and vice versa? I feel like that's just kind of a natural inclination when you you've been in the faith as long as I have it, it kind of just, you have things that are just natural to you. You, you, I have a, a definite abil, uh, belief in the triumph of good and hope. And um, also in like the strength of family as a concept and those things all come out in my writing quite a bit. Um, I don't know if my writing informs my faith at all because, or sorry, if my faith informs my writing. So no, I would, yeah, I was right the first time writing informs my faith at all. Like I don't really learn anything spiritual from what I'm writing. Most of the time it's, it comes out of me. And then sometimes my readers will find something deeper in there than I thought I put in there, which is always nice, but it usually surprises me. <laughs> I, I do at the beginning of writing each book, I tell God, if you want this one, uh, you can have it. If not, I'm just, I'm just gonna go play with my dragons in the corner and see what happens again. Usually he lets me go. I think he caught me maybe, I used to just say once Spice Springer, that book was something way out of my control. Um, but I'd say the Christian themes have gotten a lot deeper in my superhero stories um, as of the last few things, just because my other stuff is like alternate world for the most part. It doesn't take place in our world. So saying the characters are Christian, they usually believe in whatever religion is in their world, but it's not a one for one Christian swap. And a lot of times it's a fairly, you know, it's, 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 it's not the same thing. And the in superhero stuff is set in our world. So I had to make the conscious choice about whether which Christian characters would have Christian faith or not and how they interact with things around them. And it's different. Um, so you have characters who, uh, like the main couple who they're the mentors of my uh, teen camp in the teen superhero series. They are Christian and like how they interact with that. And the fact that when they eventually adopt one of the teens, they would want to share their faith with him. It had, it forced that to the forefront. Whereas in an alternate world, or if I'm writing steampunk, which is assumed to be Victorian England, where you just assume everybody goes to church um, because it's Victorian England. And if you didn't, your neighbors would shame you. <laughs> um, it, it's just a different proposition, you know? So that did surprise me about writing the superhero stuff. Um, you, you can't, you can't wiggle away from it. You have to make the conscious choices in those cases. That is so interesting. And that makes me really excited to read your superhero series next. It's so. ironic because that is a series where I swear the most. And oh, really? <laughs> I will warn I will warn your readers. Um, I, I am a, a Marine Corps spouse and I have heard it all and I get a little numb to it after a while. I, I have a list of words I will not say, the big ones, but uh, like the, the little ones, the D words and the H words, um, they're in there. So if you are a super, superly offended by swearing, I don't recommend my superhero series to you. Okay, thank you. It's always good to know, I think, because people do seem to have different expectations and a lot of authors have different opinions on it. So mm -hmm. it always kind of helps to know going in. 
All right. Well, anything else you'd like to share um, that I've not asked, whether it's about writing or your next project or just anything else at all that I didn't cover? Well, we didn't talk about my cat very much. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, please, by all means. <laughs> yeah, he's a little turkey named Brownie Bite. We also call him Mr. Murder Mittens because he will kill anything that crosses his path. Um, he's a super small cat, but he once brought in a full-size squirrel. So, yeah, he gave that to me on Mother's Day. So I told him that, the you know, I was like to the girls, you know, your your cat brother gave me a squirrel and you gave me a card. I can see who loves me more. <laughs> the cat wins. The cat wins. Yeah. Wait, how old is he? Oh, gosh. Um, we're not sure. So uh, we've had him about three, four years now. Um, when we picked him up, we thought he was a kitten, but he hasn't grown since then. So I took him in the vet and they said he was probably about 12 weeks old, but he's never grown. So he might have been older than that. And he's just a really shrimpy cat. <laughs> oh, I love it. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm so glad that we had the chance to meet. I feel like if we were in the same state, that it would be awesome to go get coffee and hang out and chat a little more. But I, in the meantime, will look forward to reading more of your work. But thank you so much for sharing some with us and for chatting tonight. Well, thank you. It was, it was very fun. Thank you.